0: for winter storm landon doesn't sound very scary uh, landon it's not quite uh, they should let me choose the names Maybe would be some you know rex and uh probably some swedish names or something that just sounds scary and snowy uh landon no nah, i'm not gonna cut it uh anyway uh Got an email a couple days ago, and finally, we got updated. And I don't know what you're listening to this show from. If you're listening live, well, well welcome. Welcome to the live show. Uh, If you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting stream, well, you're lucky. Uh, And if you're wondering, uh, we finally got on Pandora. So I don't know why I missed that one, why it wasn't on there. Uh, thought it had been on there, but uh, nope. But uh, got on Pandora. So if you you listen to Pandora uh, and now, you can listen to the show on Pandora. So trying to get out everywhere. I'm pretty sure like we're everywhere, but uh, you never know. Sometimes we miss one, but uh, we're on all the big ones. Your uh, Amazon, all of your. Apple stuff, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google, Podcast Addict YouTube, uh, running the – I don't run a, the live YouTube, but uh, somebody recommended that I do that. And I think, yeah, you know, maybe that's a good idea. So maybe we'll do that one day. Tune in. Remember, that one's on there, too. And, of course, I use Podbean. So all of those and many, many more. And, obviously, if you're listening to the show – You don't really need me to tell you that it's on your favorite one because you're probably listening to it already. So, Uh, but uh, giving you the options, giving you the options, and I believe that's all we have. I got to update the calendar. We've got uh, one event that took place last weekend, a cryptid event, and I think what's going to get kind of quiet here until the uh, end of February, I believe. I don't think there's anything going on this coming weekend. Uh, We do have the Dead of Winter Festival that takes place February 12th in Alton, Illinois. The Ghostly Staple pretty much every single year. Yeah, I believe that's it. Yeah, that's the next event on my calendar, but i got to get that updated as the uh, the Squatch Fest 2022 took place. Last weekend at Washington State. And so I have to get that updated. And yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, Cryptid news this week. Not sponsored by anybody. Could be you. Um, And kind of weird time of the year. You don't expect to hear uh, from this cryptid. But uh, here he is or she is. It's probably a she, if it's real. Uh, our favorite cryptid, everyone's favorite cryptid here on the show. Yes, the Loch Ness Monster, uh, but not in the Loch of Ness. Uh, it seems as though, uh, it, I don't know, it's every time this time of the year, January, February, March, there's always a story or four of somebody spotting the Loch Ness Monster somewhere else, even though, you know, every every lake Pretty much in the United Kingdom, eh, pretty much all of Europe has some sort of, uh, gosh, even most of them in Asia, now that I think about it, have some sort of uh, monster story behind their body of water. But uh, this one has a pretty good tie-in to it. It's a uh, from Wimbledon, England. No, Loch Ness Monster was not playing tennis. Uh, But uh, I guess that's about 600 miles away from Loch Ness and up in Scotland. And it's an interesting photo. And the reason why they've kind of tied it into the Loch Ness Monster is because of how it's uh, how the picture is posed, I guess. It looks like a very similar photo that you may know of. And uh, let me throw the original photo into the chat room. If you're watching live in chat, and this is also another reason maybe I should get the, uh, should get the YouTube stuff going on and you uh, see my messy office live on the air. Um, so, yeah, it's a almost looks like an elephant trunk, looks like an elephant sticking its nose out. And we've seen something like that before. Uh, so uh, a man named Eric Shytros spotted an eerie image as he was walking by Wimbledon uh, Park Lake. I think it's a state park. or they have states? I don't think so. Wimbledon Park Lake. And in the photograph, it uh, nearly looks like the so-called surgeon's photograph that was taken back in 1934. And... You probably, uh, as soon as you see that, you'll, you'll recognize that. You remember that. It's the little trunk sticking out of the water. And, of course, uh, there's, a, there's that picture. So the inset there, 1934, with the surgeon's photo. That photo was taken by Colonel Robert Kenneth Wilson. And he purportedly took that photo of the Loch Ness Monster uh, sticking its head out of the water. And to me, I always thought it looked like somebody with a hand puppet. That's what I always thought it was when I was a kid. It was like, oh, that's a hand puppet. You see the little, you can see the knuckles. You see the knuckles there. Uh, of course, some people think it's an elephant's trunk. Uh, there were stories uh, at the time of uh, the circuses would stop along various parts of Loch Ness and uh, let their animals drink from the lock and then put them back in. So there was uh, some common thought that maybe that's just an elephant's trunk uh, or other elephants or other animals had uh, spawned some of the stories of the Loch Ness monster. Uh, could be a goose, what some people think, uh, but I'm sticking with a hand puppet. That's what I think. Of course, that historic photograph is now believed to have been staged With a toy submarine and wood putty creating the head. So it's not as big as it looks. It's pretty small. And uh, just an early hoax of the Loch Ness Monster. Of course, it's kind of like the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film. So every time you see the Loch Ness Monster, it has to be very similar to this. And of course, this latest photograph is, uh, you know, obviously... Homage to that. And with the Patterson-Gimlin film, you always see uh, you know, Bigfoot taking a stride and looking over at you. All those hoaxes and all those videos are pretty much the same. Same thing here with the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but the good news is that this uh, latest photo is not a mystery. As Eric was uh, pretty straightforward about what he saw as he told Penn News... He said, uh, quote, it's a tree, unquote. Uh, He just thought it was pretty cool. He thought of uh, Nessie as soon as he saw it, so he took a photograph. And that's good. That's nice that uh, at least there's not a mystery. I mean, honestly, he probably could have got a a few extra pounds if he were to say, gosh, I have no idea what it was. It could have been the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, But at least he was straightforward about it and honest. And there is no mystery about what was seen at Wimbledon Park Lake, and next story here um, very excited to 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 see the story I got a little maybe too excited uh, but this is a, uh, a story kind of uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about I want to get back on talking about research and investigation methods of these uh, various paranormal topics that we talk about each and every week. And every story has kind of a lesson to it. At least I try to make it that way. You know, what can, what can we take away from these stories? And um, there should be a key takeaway on on these stories and what can we learn or how can we move forward and how do we spot the next hoax or how do we unravel these mysteries? And uh, I think, uh, this story is a really good one I was excited that it was coming from the ho- My home state of Ohio And even more excited uh, To hear that it was It's a pretty rare thing That this uh, person who Claims they uh, have some evidence Of Bigfoot uh, States that He found Three toed footprints Of a purported Bigfoot And anyone who has Researched or studied Bigfoot or Bigfoot-like creatures, uh, that usually rings a bell. We get excited. We hear about the uh, three-toed tracks. We know there's a, a few famous ones out there. And it's interesting because the story came from the Daily Star, which is weird. I didn't hear about this through local uh, – the local news, the local radio stations or the local um, – uh, news channels. I, I think you know things have changed in that regard. Uh, if you don't watch your local news or listen to your terrestrial radio, uh, you probably get your news from whatever source comes across your phone at this point in time. You know, used to get. Uh, you know, I grew up listening to my local news and reading the paper, the newspaper, you know, those black and white things with ink that gets all over your hands. But yeah, I think now it's it's different. That's weird that I'm getting a news story from 30 miles away that happened 30 miles away from a newspaper that's over a thousand miles away. Uh, but anyway, somehow the uh, online magazine drew an interest in a recent video uploaded to a YouTube channel that uh, doesn't have a lot of subscribers. And the videos in question didn't really have a whole lot of views, which uh, kind of raises a couple of flags right there. And uh, it claimed that the man had found Bigfoot tracks. And if you go to the, the YouTube channel of this person, uh, there's a lot of just random stuff, just random stuff. And then late, lately, <clears throat> probably the last um, last week or so been a lot of these bigfoot videos showing up that are from last year so yeah you know maybe just kind of got around to it finally Uh, editing takes time i get that Uh, so they're on a a bigfoot trend right now and uh, i guess from the the facts that are there and the red flags that were raised uh, the person who uploaded the video is more than likely the one who Sold the story to the Daily Star because every story at the bottom, now there's a link to uh, getting your story. I'm sure you don't make a whole lot of money from them, but money's money. And any dollar amount is, is money, it's income. And probably sold the story to the Daily Star. Uh, since it seemed uh, the story had more details about this person than what I could find through watching uh, a handful of these videos. Now, as far as three-toed animals are concerned, uh, they're pretty rare in nature. Uh, you don't uh, you don't really see too many, um, but. Uh, Let's see. Well, rhinoceros is the big one that comes to my mind. Three-toed sloth. I guess I should have thought of that one first. Uh, Emu, which we had a loose emu here in northeast Ohio last year, but nowhere near where this gentleman is. Uh, And uh, a few birds, some of which we have here in Ohio that have three toes. Of course, I think a lot of them have three toes now that I think about it. Uh, But no big animal exists with three toes here. The Buckeye State. Now you can go back in, in time. One of the biggest. Um, you, don't, you don't hear this much anymore. You, all you hear is about Gigantopithecus. Anymore in cryptozoology. Talking about uh, Bigfoot. Uh, but you used to have the. Uh, megatherium. Or the giant ground sloth. Used to be the. Uh, one of the leading. Hypothesis. hypotheses. Something like that about what Bigfoot might be. One of these giant ground sloths just, uh, you know, just kind of stored itself away for uh, millions of years just, well, not millions of years, uh, hundreds of years, thousands of years, and uh, just kind of hung out and uh, waited. And uh, they're breeding in the wild now, apparently, uh, even though they were only known to exist in South America. So I don't know how they'd. You know, float up here or whatever. But um, yeah, they died off, um, I think about 12, 15,000 years ago, something like that. So it hasn't been too distant. Uh, but yeah, they're no longer alive. And I think we'd know they were around. Uh, but that's uh, usually when we hear about three toed tracks as uh, tied into Bigfoot sightings. We tend to think of the megatherium or the. Giant uh, sloth. But I think it's a further stretch than Gigantopithecus, even though that's a huge stretch as well. But um, as far as Bigfoot names, so Bigfoot itself is like a blanket term, obviously. So is Sasquatch. Uh, Sasquatch is a little bit more of the Pacific Northwest or Southern Canadian region, British Columbia a regional name for uh, Bigfoot. Of course, you have Skunk Ape in Florida. Uh, we've got the Grassman here in Ohio, as well as in Michigan, which we're not allowed to say that the M word here in Ohio, I guess, but I'll say it, Michigan, and you've got a lot of other regional names. And of course, you have the uh, the Yeti, the Yeren, uh, all these different names of. Bigfoot-like creatures all over the world that exist. And uh, so these are just regional names. And of course, when you're talking about three-toed tracks, uh, probably the number one three-toed track story comes from the Falk Monster, also known as the Boggy Creek Monster. Had its own movie. That's how famous this thing was. It's own movie. Uh, And, of course, The Legend of Boggy Creek came out in the eh, kind of the mid-1970s, coming from uh, sightings in the early 1970s in Arkansas. And, of course, Momo the Monster, one of my favorites, was also from the 1970s, was thought to have had three toes and uh, left tracks that have also been cast In the state of Missouri. Uh, Then you also have Louisiana's. Honey Island Swamp Monster. That's been seen since the early 1960s. Again also described as having. Three toes. Uh, There's other accounts from. Multiple states. uh, Iowa Minnesota from 1978. and 1989 respectively. Uh, There's uh, rumors of that here in Ohio. And some other states. uh, But nothing with. With. Cast or photographs to uh, add to the uh, stories uh, or the accounts. Uh, So, does this one here at Ohio deserve to be added to that list now that we have photographs? It's actually a video taken and posted onto YouTube. I was all excited, so I sat down and I watched it. And, uh, ah, a little disappointed. Yeah, despite the high hopes, uh, once I began watching the YouTube video, uh, which was created by landscape photographer uh, Steve Drayle, I wasn't so excited. It was a good effort. I appreciate the enthusiasm and the description and the, uh, the uh, video work. Uh, the video shows some very old tracks in uh, some solid dirt. Seemingly close to uh, some sort of trail. So when they're shooting it. uh, The way he shoots his videos. It's cameras always down. So you can't see around. Where they're filming. And apparently it's uh, you know everything's top secret. Can't divulge where this is at. Which to me I think it's pretty close to his house. And uh, there's somebody else in the video. They show uh, they get this cute little cat. Squatch cat that's in the videos. And. You know, tr- just trying to keep the his uh, wife out of there, and um, not trying to show the surrounding area. But th- there's a quick glimpse that you can see. There's a concrete, a trail that's right there, and and the dirt area comes off of that trail. So I would think that this is a hiking trail or uh, some sort of park, maybe even a dog park, where they're uh, where they're walking. Uh, so to me, that would seem like. Pretty big concentration of people in that area. So as far as the footprints are concerned, yeah, they're definitely old prints. As uh, Steve does point out in the video, it's uh, pretty hard to ignore that fact. And the problem with age, when you have a track that's aged, um, uh, they become distorted over time, first of all. So they can uh, become—tracks usually get bigger, although they can wear away and look smaller— Uh, Generally, our eyes are drawn to the ones that uh, look bigger than what they normally are, and they start to lose their detail as well as as the weather weathers away uh, the track. Um, So the video was purportedly filmed in late March. Uh, He says March 30th. So we can assume that the tracks were probably there during the winter months and covered with snow, which uh, adds a little bit more pressure to the ground and will expand those tracks as well. And of course, when the snow melts, we'll also make those tracks a little bit bigger and we'll, uh, can A, wash away some detail, but also B, can add more detail because of uh, puddling in the tracks and and if there's a rock or a stone or anything, uh, obviously water moves around those and water will move to the lowest point. And as water continues to move through those tracks, it can create what seems to be toes, uh, but really aren't. So you have to be very careful when you're looking at old tracks because they can fool you. And I've been fooled before as well. I've seen tracks that they swear were Bigfoot uh, but I knew better by looking at them because of the age of those tracks. You you have to be you got to be honest with yourself. Sometimes you do get excited. I've been super excited to see some tracks and was ready to tell the world. But you know the, the back of my mind tells me that um, with that age, I really can't state right away that that's definitely a, a Bigfoot. You 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 have to be honest with yourself and honest with what nature can do and can fool you. And uh, with weathering and age, yes, it can erase details, create details that were not original to that track. Um, And at one time you might've been able to see a tread from shoes or boots and um, weathering like that over months, it's going to take away all that detail. You're not going to be able to see uh, the boot prints after a while. And it's just going to look like, a footprint, because all that's going to be left is just that uh, original uh, depth of, of footprint. And he also says that it's uh, very deep in some tracks, uh, some uh, different videos that I've seen. And of course, because you can see that the mud, it's a lower area and it was uh, muddier. So a footprint in heavier mud is going to be deeper than one that's in a higher elevation. It's not going to be as muddy. So you kind of have to know the landscape. And what water does. Because well, we're talking about water. We're not just talking about dirt. Um, but uh, like I said. The uh, indentations created by the track. And subsequent weathering. May have created the impression of toes. where there were or not. Originally toes present. Now, I can say. Uh, From my experience, I like taking uh, photographs of different tracks and different prints in the areas that I'm used to going. Uh, One park I used to live close to uh, before moving to uh, the house I'm at now, uh, down the street there was a park that uh, had frequent hikers, walkers, kids, and sometimes joggers that went into that area. And I finally got to see those shoes that have the toes that are part of the shoe. It's really weird looking shoe. I've seen the shoes, uh, which is one thing, but to actually see the tracks that they create is a different thing. And so I, I'd finally been able to spot these uh, fresh tracks one day. I uh, didn't see who created them, but I saw uh, there was one set of, of shoes that were definitely shoes with these toe prints. And just a couple of weeks later, i noticed a smaller pair. And then over time, I realized uh, that it was a husband and wife that sometimes ran together and sometimes ran separately because of the way the footprints overlap with each other. And he tend to ran on the left side of the trail where she tended to stick to the center of the trail. And even when they weren't together, I, I assume and I did finally see them, actually in the park. And uh, I was, it was real, and I kind of smiled to myself. And they probably thought I was a weirdo, uh, watching them run. But you know, just kind of observation is extremely important in these circumstances. And it's it's one thing to look at a print and go back and take pictures and and try to guess what you're looking at, but that experience of actually getting out there, um. And taking your own footprint. So in my my book, Handbook for the Amateur Cryptozoologist, I actually used uh, snow prints, snow tracks that I had personally created and took note of temperature and weather changes, uh, days that there was sun, and was able to watch the size of the print and the depth of the snow and how it changed over time just to – as a personal experiment to see – what happens with these conditions or what causes or what has uh, an effect on those tracks. And I've done a lot of that by going to these local parks and looking at, at uh, toe prints, uh, footprints with my own shoes and and seeing what weathering does and how it makes things larger or smaller. That's being a researcher that's getting out there and, and using knowledge but uh, educating yourself at the same time and, and using that experience to then, when you're able to look at other uh, tracks, you can use that knowledge from your experiences uh, to get a better handle on what you're actually looking at. And um, came to, to, for me, I was really interested in those, uh, how to read tracks and read signs. Everybody gets excited about animal prints and animal tracks. And, you know, every, uh, everybody who's in cryptozoology knows cat prints and dog prints and certain animal prints. It's one thing to read them in a book, but it's a far different one to actually find them in the wild. It's a very difficult sometimes to spot certain animals' tracks in the woods. You know, you can't walk around with a book all the time. Uh, you, you have to uh, transition from that book to actually looking in the dirt and the mud. And so then it becomes a lot more difficult to determine what you're looking at. Um, so I started out looking for animal prints long before I was even into the paranormal, let alone cryptozoology. Uh, because I wanted to learn how to track animals and track people, which Always, which I always thought was interesting. I remember... Um, TV shows there was a TV show called uh The Sentinel where this guy was supposedly lost in the jungles for a year and a half or whatever and then he became all of his senses became super hyper aware and he could track people through the jungle and you know you always see these these movies where somebody's like yeah he's uh walking with a a slight limp and he's carrying uh a, a bag on his right shoulder that weighs approximately 25 pounds. So, like, how do you get that detail? Uh, but believe it or not, those kind of things are real. And if you learned how to study uh, tracks and and uh, the, the terrain, uh, you can you can pick these kind of details out. Believe it or not, now it's not always going to get a, a lot of detail, but you can. There's a lot of things you can pick up. But uh, it comes from experience. You're not going to read all that in a book or, or off uh, Google. There's a lot of practical application you have to have. You have to get out there and, and, and do these things and, and make footprints and tracks and then look to see what, you know, what they look like, what you did when you move through an area or how you walk up a hill. You know, people don't usually walk straight up a hill. They'll move their feet sideways. And... You know, you can tell uh, somebody's using a hiking stick. You can tell if they're left or right handed. Generally, there's a lot of details you can pick out. And I spent a lot of time doing those sort of things, trying to figure out what I'm looking at. And that uh, really came in handy when I got into cryptozoology and looking at prints, looking at tracks. I could tell the difference between a left front paw print of a dog versus a rear right print of a dog, which just doesn't sound very important. Uh, but when you're trying to track an animal or trying to figure out where it came from or where it's going, those kind of details actually are important. Um, and you could visualize how something is moving through an area. Um, but again, and the other thing too, is people will say, well, Bigfoot is interdimensional because we can't follow its footprints. Well, that's all well and good, but even deer will disappear, um, regular animals that are very easy to track will disappear and they're not disappearing uh, but their sign disappears because they move through areas where their sign is easy to read into areas where it disappears quicker you know when you move uphill uh, the higher uphill the elevation you know in a a regular area uh, you're going to get less rainfall and you're going to get less tracks. You're going to get less information uh, versus an animal moving up a hill or moving through a valley uh, at an angle or in a depression. You know, when it's moving on uh, a, curves, a curved surface or a higher elevation, you're not going to get those long-lasting prints. So you, you generally will lose things. Now, if something's walking through uh, a river area, yeah, along the banks, you're going to see these prints. But... If that river has swelled, it can erode those tracks. So you're not always going to get uh, the information. Sometimes it will appear as though creatures are just disappearing, but there's science behind it. Uh, so if you're going to be a Bigfoot researcher, Bigfoot um, investigator, you've got to have that basic knowledge of tracking beyond being able to figure out what a dog print or cat print is in a book. Uh, you should be able to spot these in the wild. Go to a, a dog park. That's kind of one of the things I did. Of course, uh, the parks where I have I used to go to had, uh, they weren't really dog parks, but people brought their dogs there anyway. Um, you go to the beach. I, I do the same thing. I look at dog prints or people prints in sand and dirt and mud and just different uh, landscapes. It's really interesting to see how how different landscapes you know keep tracks or how long they last. It's very interesting stuff, but it takes a lot of time and patience to do these things. and I don't think a lot of researchers out there take that time. They get into it, they see something, and they just automatically become that researcher. Uh, but, i got to say, it's good to see somebody get out from behind the keyboard and get out there in the wild. So nothing against somebody who's actually uh, putting boots on the ground, as they say, and getting out there and looking for these things. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's different from a book to reality. And I can't stress that enough. Um, but uh, back to the videos, there's uh, kind of, like I mentioned this already, there's kind of a lack of perspective uh, from what we're saying, because the camera's held straight down to the ground pretty much most of the time. There's also a sense of scale missing. Uh, so when he sees these tracks, he puts his foot next to it. And, well, I don't know how big your feet are. I mean, I know people with size 13, 14 feet, but I also know people with uh, tiny feet. So there's, there's a, no sense of scale. Um, when you do watch other videos, he does have a, a tape measure, but I had to laugh watching the tape measure because the videos – because he does what a lot of people do, and they'll, he'll measure the outside of the tracks, which that's not how big the foot is because if you put your foot into dirt, uh, a shoe, uh, your your foot doesn't take up the entire shoe. It doesn't spill over the sides, but when you are making a impression into dirt and mud, it's pushing – Debris away from where your foot is, so your foot isn't as big as the depression you're creating. Uh, it fits inside of that depression. Uh, so he adds a few generous inches on each side when he makes his his announcement as how big things are and how long the foot is. Uh, but uh, in this particular video that's shown I think of uh, three different news agencies that picked up on this. Uh, we don't see that. Tape measure or sense of scale. There's nothing there to. Um, you, know, you used to see the lighters. People don't really carry lighters as much anymore. Uh, we know how big a lighter is. We can we can use that as a measurement. Uh, but a, an L square is is pretty much. That's what you should be carrying. That should be in your backpack. Uh, I carry one in my. I have a backpack hanging in my garage, ready to go. I've got gloves in there. I've got uh, other collection. Uh, track collection materials ready to go in a uh, kind of a bug out bag ready to go if I have to go somebody says hey we got a squash Uh, we need somebody to come out and take prints or take photographs I'm ready to go got a bug out bag ready to go investigate Um, but the L square is important because then you can it's not just a tape measure you can get uh, the length and width in one picture it's pretty easy comes in handy Uh, But I also carry a tape measure, so you got to carry that uh, as well uh, for doing height on trees and things. Um, Another thing, uh, like I said, we don't see that perspective in this video. Um, It's obvious to me that these videos are either on his property or very close to his home. And one key thing to that, again, they keeps the camera straight down. And more than once, you can see his shoes as well as his wife's shoes in these videos, and they're pretty clean. So I know they're not walking far, and I know they're they're not walking through uh, mud or anything like that. Granted, it looks pretty dry, which is kind of rare for the end of March here in Ohio, for the ground to be that dry. Um, But I didn't get too far into the weather watching this video, but uh, the camera never pans around the landscape. As uh, He says all uh, these areas are secret, but I think it's just because it's close to his home. Um, one big thing, too, if you're going to take video of prints, of tracks, they never seem to show up very well. Uh, he puts the camera toward the track the same way as we would view them with our eyes. And if you're looking at a track, uh, you can see them with your eyes. You can look down and say, hey, there's a track. There's a person a, person track or a cat track or dog track but taking a photo or video you really lose the sense of depth for some reason it it just doesn't show up very well in photographs and uh, the best way to spot tracks is to go out early in the morning or when the sun is beginning to set for me obviously it's uh, you have more time when you go out early but when you go out early uh, the sun is coming in at an angle, uh, the, so the sharper the angle, the more that these things are going to pop up to you, and it's amazing. Uh, I didn't I didn't publish the uh, pictures that I've taken, but I've taken pictures of a grassy area where I walked through in the afternoon, and then I uh, showed the same prints in the evening for sunset and how how sharp they showed up uh, in a photograph. Um, but I've done a lot of that experimentation as well. But the uh, sharp angle of the sun will will create uh, more pop for a photograph, and even for your eyes. I could say it's a lot easier to walk around and see these things um, with that sharp angle because of the the depth of the print uh, at early or in the afternoon when the sun's setting. Uh, but you can kind of replicate that if you're going to take photos you can black out uh sun uh, i know a, a fellow researcher who actually uses an umbrella over prints like that to uh, shade the light coming straight down and then using a uh, camera flash as a background to uh to heighten the to create that light and shadow on the tracks for them to pop out a little bit better uh, you can also use uh A flashlight or any other kind of light source, you know, those uh, bright, uh, like those YouTube cameras and all that stuff, if you're carrying those with you, you're shooting videos out in the wild, you can use those as well to provide that sense of depth or also to block that sunlight from directly overhead. Uh, But long story short, uh, to me, these are just human tracks created by shoes or boots that have been weathered over time. Um, that uh, eliminate enough detail to create an ambiguous print. But uh, this showcases the fact that we should, all of researchers, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, I've just got a lot of experience, uh, but uh, not lately it seems like, but the more you get out there and the more you experiment with things and understand how nature works for and against you, uh, you can make a little bit more of an educated guess instead of walking around going, look at that, scratch print. Look at that three-toed squash print, and you'll you'll have a little bit more weight behind your words. Um, but it's it's weird you don't see or hear from uh, people like me bragging about finding big footprints all the time because we're able to eliminate those false negatives um, before trying to make five dollars from a UK magazine. Anyway, yeah, uh, so sometimes winter is a great time uh, to find prints, but it's also a bad time because weather conditions change very quickly in the wintertime. A big thing today, we finally got over 30 degrees. We actually hit uh, 44 uh, Fahrenheit, so I almost said Celsius. That would have been hot. Um, Anytime, even when it's cold out, it could be 20 20 degrees out and freezing cold could be a wind uh, with the wind chill right around zero. The sun could come out and the sun will actually melt the snow. And when snow melts, tracks get bigger. Uh, it's, it's more dynamic with snow uh, as far as changes than it is with dirt and mud. So, yeah, they stick out more. But uh, prints erode and change size much quicker in the winter time with with snow cover, I should say. Uh, because of wind, uh, because of warmth, because of the sun, uh, a lot of things affect tracks much much quicker. And uh, yeah, it's 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 trickier in snow. You know, it's easier to spot. Yes, I agree. Uh, you can you can really tell where animals are traveling to and from. Of today clearing snow off of around my house, getting ready for the big snowstorm. Uh, I saw a lot of animal prints that, that kind of make me worried uh, around my house, but um, but yeah, that I normally would not be able to see during the summertime. I would have to catch them in my trap in my garage uh, other than uh, you know, being able to spot them in the snow like that. but, uh, again, footprints and things change quicker in snow conditions. So it's a little trickier than uh, than it is during a regular time. So that's your little educational piece, Tracks 101, I guess, uh, this week. Hopefully uh, we can find good stories like this that can uh, add to the education of uh, researchers and investigators, people who, uh, you know, it's easy to sit behind a computer and and dig all this stuff out, but you've got to be able to apply this knowledge in order to disseminate what you're seeing, Uh, whether it's a video or photograph. uh, You can't do all that sitting behind a keyboard. And speaking of photographs, we're going to slide on over to UFO news And we got some strange lights in the sky, creating a little bit of debate online. But what doesn't create debate online these days? Uh, Wes Snyder, a well-known coastal photographer, was taking a time-lapse photography session in the Outer Banks of North Carolina when he spotted something strange after reviewing the video. And uh, when I first saw the headline of the story, Uh, We tend to find a lot of these strange things uh, show up in time-lapse photography. Obviously, with time-lapse photography, you're going to be covering um, hours in the sky. So hours versus some guy walking his dog for 20, 15 or 20 minutes while he's smoking a cigarette or uh, checking his phone out. So um, you get a larger expanse. Plus, you're picking up a lot more light with time-lapse photography. And generally, uh, you're going to be in in areas where it's a little darker and it captures a lot more light that way. So we do see a lot of strange things pop up in these time-lapse photography. And it's weird. This this particular person has shown up uh, quite a bit in paranormal news. And it's not like he's trying to. Uh, It's just he captures some really interesting things. Uh, this is not the first UFO story I've seen Wes Snyder's name attached to, but it's not like he's trying to get these stories on the news. It just kind of follows him around, it seems. Uh, now, in this particular video, um, you can see in the lower right-hand corner of the frame, uh, there's some really strange red circles that show up. And he says it uh, seems to defy... Um, you know, defy reality or uh, his explanations, and you'd have to you'd have to take him at his word for it because he does spend a lot of time uh, doing all this research and being outside and and taking these for these photos and probably standing there watching. Sometimes I'm sure a lot of times he just leaves his equipment and goes to uh, Waffle House or something. Uh, but so here's a in the chat room, you can see this photograph. Now, there's a uh, kind of a fixture there on the left. You can see the whole thing in the video. This is just kind of a, uh, a cut of the lower right-hand corner of the, the video as a still. So you see these circles. Now, in the time-lapse video, these circles are moving pretty quick and very tight circles, uh, but it's pretty large, expansive area from uh, his observation. So it's a little bit... Uh, more of a mystery than what it seems. It seems you could just immediately say, well, those are airplanes. Uh, but airplanes don't really fly in the tight concentric circles. Now, they will fly uh, where I live. I'm on the outside of the the holding pattern for a, a international airport there in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, we are on... In area, but you can't really see the, tur- the planes going in a circle. You can only see them turning because we're not far enough away. So uh, even here in this, you're not far enough to see the circular pattern of a holding pattern, which is probably about 60 miles at the, your tightest concentric circle. So well, maybe a little less depending upon the uh, airport. Uh, in this time lapse video, uh, each photograph in the session is taken with a 10-second exposure and then one second in between. Uh, so when you're watching this, things are moving pretty quick. You see the Milky Way uh, galaxy move across the screen, which was the uh, center, supposed to be the center point of this video. But uh, people seeing these red trails uh, jumped out. And Snyder... Uh, just commented. This uh, video was taken months ago, so back on September 27th, between 8 and 10 p.m., and the camera is facing toward the mainland. And of course, you know these things take time to to uh, edit, put together, and I'm sure he did some some editing to this. So it just hit the internet recently. Uh, Snyder said, "Quote: I've caught thousands of plane trails and have never." Had any of them look like this, so I'm certain they're not your typical aircraft. I've caught these trails before in several other time lapses, but I've yet to figure out what kind of planes possibly have these capabilities. Whatever they are, they seem to have some incredible maneuverability. "Unquote." Now, my first thought was drones. Seems pretty simple, straightforward explanation. Uh, but again, September 27th. And this is a two-hour time frame. And that's kind of long for a drone to be flying. And it's also a pretty wide expanse. He says based on the distance, it's probably a few miles. So that's kind of long for a, a commercial drone uh, to be uh, flying. Uh, you know, hobby drone flying. it. it's a pretty big area. And it's pretty high up to... Uh, the way the camera's sitting on the ground or ground level looking up. Um, he feels that it's probably too high or too long of a distance and too long a time for drones. Um, but he thinks, Snyder thinks, that um, these could be military aircraft training over uh, Pamlico Sound, which doesn't make sense. And uh, if you, when you're watching the video, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, at first, I had to watch it uh, a few times, you know, these particular parts. But one tip to me that does prove that these are planes, I can't tell what kind of a plane or uh, if it's doing anything else other than flying, is that uh, the images seem to show an object traveling counterclockwise, and it's kind of hard to tell um, sweep the way it sweeps in a circle. Uh, But it seems to me it's counterclockwise, and we see a red light. Obviously, it's leaving a red trail, a little bit of a hint of white as well, but mostly red. And this makes perfect sense if it is an airplane, because uh, they have a red light on the right wing. Um, So red right, uh, you're in trouble, basically. So if if you see a red light coming at you and you're flying an airplane... That's not good news. Uh, You better pull the parachute. Well, don't do that. Uh, So that makes sense to me that we're going to see more of the red light in the time lapse that uh, if it's flying in that direction. But um, I could look up, I guess I could look up the uh, flight tracking software to see if military or I guess would have to be commercial. Military jets don't usually show up in Flight tracking software, for obvious reasons, uh, especially if they're doing training exercises, it's not going to be there. But uh, never thought of looking that up. It's possible we could find it that way. Um, but either way, it's pretty cool if you watch the video uh, of the time lapse thing. It's still pretty neat to uh, to see that. But strange lights in the sky. We'll have to see if he. Uh, Ever figures out what these are after he films them again, or actually observes what they are. And it's you would think it would be hard to see these things as well, because again, time-lapse photography, long exposure is going to pick up more light than what you can see with your eyes. So you're not standing there seeing what you're seeing in these videos. It's it's gathering more light than what you're capable of seeing. Um, So you probably wouldn't see them. By eye, but if he knows the direction that they're going, you could probably, you know, possibly go in that direction either on a boat or if you can figure out where it is on land, go there and uh, check it out. I'd like to know, I'd like to figure out what's going on there. And last but certainly not least, a name that we've not heard very often. Really haven't heard much from this guy lately. Yuri Geller. I don't know the last time I've said this guy's name. Uh, Yuri Geller, who uh, you may know as an Israeli-British magician, illusionist, author, television personality, and self-proclaimed psychic. Um, I guess if I just say Spoonbender, you probably know who I'm talking about. And uh, he found his fame, actually, after being upstaged on the Johnny Carson show way back in 1973. Man, that was an ancient time. 1973. uh, By skeptic James Randi. Pretty much uh, ripped that guy apart on live TV. And uh, Geller thought his career was over. He thought that no one would ever take him seriously, which I don't think a lot of people have anyway. Anyway. Ah, uh, but he got he became famous pretty much overnight after that appearance on the Carson show. Everybody wanted to uh, see what G- Geller had, what he could do, and uh, became a millionaire pretty much overnight. Uh, despite his being unable to perform any psychic abilities on Carson, pretty much anywhere else, uh, Geller did go on to become very famous for bending spoons and other objects on television. Uh, Geller has claimed that his paranormal powers. Come from extraterrestrials Although uh, Most will admit that uh, His acts that he's Able to do And it performs on live TV Or in front of audiences can be replicated By simple Stage magicians Geller is in the news now Because he's warning His followers on Instagram That Uh Scientists have discovered a signal in space that releases a giant burst of energy every three hours and is a new occurrence according to scientists. Uh, He feels the signal is the result of aliens communicating with each other. And now that their messages have been intercepted, they'll be landing on Earth in the near future for whatever reason. I don't know what that means, but I don't know how they would know that we intercepted it. Even if you intercept a message, you still have to uh, decipher it, right? Figure out what's being said. Uh, he says that we should start deciphering these messages right away and figure out what they are saying so we can figure out what they're, uh, what they're up to and prepare for a mass landing. But, uh, but the science behind that is, uh, yeah, it's true. Scientists have discovered a strange signal in space that emits high energy every few hours. Uh, Dr. Natasha Hurley, an astrophysicist at Curtin University in Australia, states that she believes the signal is an ultra-long period magnetar, which is a, a slow-spinning neutron star, um, sending out this signal. Well, this conclusion is based on a hypothesis. Nothing like this has ever been observed in space before, so this is all new territory, which... You know does give Geller a little bit of uh, Of a nod Uh, But Dr. Natasha believes that The magnetar is somehow Converting magnetic energy into Radio waves in a more effective Way than anything else That scientists know of So yeah that makes You wonder is Geller onto something or Is he just bending More spoons We have to wait and find out This is an interesting thing Going on out in space, uh, is it alien communication or maybe just whales in outer space for all we know? We don't we don't really know, but uh, I would kind of believe uh, the Magnetar, which is actually pretty close to us. It's actually in our, our universal backyard. So we'll have to see what's going on with those signals, what's going on out there in space. And if Geller can finally pull one out and see if it's actually, actually true. And with that, well, that's all I got. Um, I do have a, uh, I think that's on my, I think that's on my list. Is that on my list? Michigan? September? Yeah, I got that on my list, so. Just saw a uh, thing in chat here for the Michigan UFO contact September twenty third and twenty fourth, twenty twenty two, Houghton Lake, Michigan. Been there before, spoken at events out in that area. Um, yeah, that's on the list. That's a it's a long way away, but uh, September. Well, it'll be here before you know it. Um, and also, any other event for paranormal conferences, conventions, whether it's ghosts, whether it's cryptid, UFO, that's it. Um, Check out paranewsinsider.com and click on the events tab at the top. But if you see one that's missing or know of one that's missing, just let me know. You can email me at insider at paranewsinsider.com or contact me through social media, Facebook or Twitter, and I'll get that updated for you. As soon as I can. And with that, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, and the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.